Right. Oh, yes. Well, you seem to be getting on quite well without me, so... Well, Mick was quite bold just now. He said that David was going to preach from the Bible this morning. Where did you get that information from, Mick? Oh, better change the bulletin then. <laughs> there are many Bibles, aren't there? There's the plant Bible. There's this Bible and that Bible. I can't think of any others at the moment. But uh, I took me talking about the Word of God, the, uh, the book we call the, the Bible. The book in which God has made himself known. And uh, he's going to do that this morning, as he always does amazing place do we well we're back into the, our series in in acts we'll be looking at uh, chapter 4 verses 1 to 12 last week was a little bit of interlude and what a lovely amazing interlude it was wasn't it as we i think it was such a great sunday as we uh, but you know when it comes down to the bottom line last week was really what all church is about quite simple really in my opening of this passage of Acts you may have remembered I said it's about people not buildings and it's about everyone being a witness not just the select few these are the simple things aren't they but last week it was about believing and being baptized and that's what the church is really all about isn't it coming to faith in Jesus and following him as disciples and um, it's a shame really that uh, in many parts the church has got complicated and taken up with stuff which takes us off our course but in the end it's about Jesus and it's about him only that's what we want to be as beacon it's about him it's about making about him known this morning our passage um, really at the heart of what we're talking about it's it's how we can be witnesses to Jesus it's something I wake up every morning with um, I'd be dishonest if I was saying it's it's the key thing in my mind and and saying I really want to witness for Jesus today. I do want to do that but um, I find so many other things going on to be taken up to be really focused on witnessing for Jesus um, it's quite a difficult thing to do, really, and unless we, unless we have an intentionality about it, um, then we, we might find it difficult. But sometimes we think of it only in terms of evangelistic campaigns and churchiness and what we do. Um, but um, we are a family of churches in relational. We see relational mission down the bottom. It's just we're a family of churches, and and, and the phrase has been uh, has been has been used and, and is taught very much that everyone is a witness. Everyone is that. That's at the heart of who we are as a family of churches. It's not just the big evangelistic campaigns. And, and personally, I think probably the day for. For that may be fading out, I don't know. But um, 
There are still evangelistic campaigns. Uh, uh, J. John, the, the Anglican um, evangelist, is still doing that, and it works very well. Many people come to faith knowing Jesus through, uh, through that evangelistic campaign. But that mustn't replace what the church really is, and that's everyone a witness. Everyone a witness. And this morning, out, out of this passage, I'm going to look at ways to witness. And um, we need to read the passage, and I'll give a little bit of introduction to it. Um, but if you've got a Bible or a phone or something, if you want to turn to Acts chapter 4. Before we start reading this, we need to recap where we are. Um, after the Holy Spirit had come upon those disciples in, in the upper room, um, things had started to happen. and They were bearing witness to Jesus. Peter had, uh, had, had explained what the coming of the Holy Spirit was all about and how important that this was. Um, uh, was the, 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 the Old Testament scriptures actually coming to be birthed in the New Testament way. Prophecies that had been given about the church were now coming to birth. And Peter had stood up and he'd given this what we, great sermon and um, people had responded and the church had grown sort of very quickly to about 3,000 people. In this passage today we shall read that it's grown again to about 5,000. But the fact is that um, this message which we preach about Jesus, which we call the gospel, is beginning to take shape and it's beginning to progress, it's beginning to move, its power is being shown and demonstrated and we're, and we're starting that. And the, the, the fact that Peter and John, as they went to the temple, saw a man who was lame and had caused a lot of controversy uh, because um, we think it's a wonderful thing. And it was a wonderful thing, and, uh, but it, caused, it was controversial. And we shall see a little bit about that a bit later on. But this is the outfall of what had happened to this man. We, we're reading here and uh, in verse, verse 1 of chapter 4. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them. So we have to try and imagine a very Jewish situation um, and, and the temple there. Uh, in Israel, and um, this, this man had been healed, a lame man who had been at this temple for many years, and now he was walking, and um, it, had, it caused a lot of controversy. And so they were standing there speaking to the people, uh, trying to explain and talking about it. I suppose they were discussing, well, how did it happen, and what all sorts of things. And uh, as they were speaking about this and discussing it and talking it, woof, in came the heavies. In came the heavies. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them. What a thing to say. They came upon them. Greatly annoyed. Really the sentiment is that they were running around like headless chickens. They didn't know what to do with it. They couldn't explain it. And they wanted to stop it because it was going to cause a problem, they thought. Verse 3, and they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. 
On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power and by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed? Let it be known to you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead by him, this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, Jews, Israelites, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now verse 12 is a trouble-causing verse. There's no other name under heaven, no one else under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. That's a controversial word. As I was, as I was uh, thinking about this passage, I thought to myself, this story is full of controversy, isn't it? It's full of controversy. It was breaking out. So after Jesus' death and resurrection, there were about six weeks in which we read he did many specific things like living a normal person amongst people. And there were a few noticeable changes in his activity, but not such to alarm people or come across as weird or strange. But the point is, before he left, he gave a prophetic charge of commission and enabling. And this was also to be the mandate for the emerging and developing church until Jesus returns again. So you remember, and you will be my witnesses, and you will be my witnesses. And I think that's key to see this happening in this, in, in this reading that we've had this morning. And so Peter and John took the opportunity to be witnesses when a healing had happened and in the midst of this controversy and what was going on. He, they took the opportunity to be witnesses. And Jesus said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That's a prophetic charge and an enabling and it's something which has not been taken away from the church today. You will be my witnesses when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Now, depending, it doesn't matter really how much witnesses, witnessing we think we might do. As believers in the Lord Jesus Christ living out our lives in our own community, we are witnesses. And we're not always aware of how God's using us as witnesses. And we need to remember that, but we are witnesses. Because we're now living our lives to the way Jesus asked us to do. Or that that's the discipleship route anyway. 
We are called to be disciples and to live, and we are witnesses. The church proper wouldn't come fully to birth until the Holy Spirit was poured out upon the waiting disciples in Jerusalem. And we live under that power, that enabling today. So the enabling that those early disciples were given when the Holy Spirit came upon us is still on us today and it's on us as we seek him more and more and more and more. We cannot get away with it. We just pray, we just ask, Lord, help us as a church, as individuals, to be full of your Holy Spirit, to know your Holy Spirit in our lives each day. And we'll see later how this can help us. This preaching series in Acts takes us on a journey from one upstairs room in Jerusalem to this room today. And it's no different. It's the same message, it's the same enabling, it's the same power. We are called to be witnesses. 2,000 years, many journeys on foot, donkey, horse, camel, cart, boat, ship, horse, carriage, bus, car, book, radio, TV, Sunday school, church, have all been the means to deliver this amazing message about Jesus Christ down through the ages. So that room in Jerusalem to this room today the message hasn't changed. Believe and be baptised to know Jesus Christ as Saviour and Lord and friend. No one is exempt for this. The first sort of point I want to make here is to note that this was the first persecution. Jesus did tell his disciples Actually, persecution, one form or another, would be what you would expect or you'd experience. Here in this country, we are very, very fortunate that we don't experience harsh persecution. But some people do. There is an organisation called Barnabas Fund which deals specifically with the persecuted church as it seeks to work witness for Jesus Christ. Pastor Wang Yai of Early Rain Covenant Church and his wife, Jian Rong, before they were detained in China, Jiang was released after six months, but Wang remained in custody. His letter from the Chengju jail included the words, separate me from my wife, Separate me from my children, ruin my reputation, destroy my life and my family. The authorities are capable of doing all these things. However, no one in this world can force me to renounce my faith. Being witnesses of Jesus Christ can be really tough. And sometimes in this life, even in here in Hermbay, we will experience little bits of persecution and opposition. But Jesus said, this is part of the course. When you are my witnesses, when you are my witnesses, you may face opposition. They were outnumbered, roughly about 80 to 3, if you count the group of the Sanhedrin. And we count the, uh, the Sadducees and the different ranks and groups there were and the individuals, the high priest. 
80 to 3. But with God, it's a majority. With the Holy Spirit, it's a majority. And sometimes we may find that we feel outnumbered. They were outnumbered, they were outranked. What was he said? They said about these people, they were ordinary, unschooled people. Don't be intimidated by those who can outrank us or outspeak us. We are still witnesses. We may be outnumbered, we may be outranked, we may be outcast, but we're not outdone because the message of Jesus Christ is unconquerable. You cannot touch it. It will go on to the end of time and people will still be coming to faith in Jesus Christ because of what he can do for us and what he's promised to do for us. We've all heard of Paul, that great missionary which God chose, and he said this, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We're afflicted in every way but not crushed. We're perplexed but not driven to despair. We're persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed, and so I spoke, witnessing. I believed, and so I spoke. We also believe, and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. Persecution. I think, where do we take this application? I think we're actually called to support persecuted Christians in one way or another either by prayer, by prayer and finance, but also supporting each other. If, if, if any of us come against trouble or difficulty, we support one another. But with persecution, it is always there. We could call it a holy wounding. A holy wounding, because Paul said, we bear in our bodies the marks of Jesus' death but it will never be forgotten. It will be an eternal thing that is remembered through eternity that we are witnesses to this amazing Jesus who gave his life for each and every one of us. Amazing. So we're called to be witnesses. First thing I want to say is that as we witness for Jesus, as we pursue getting the gospel about, one thing we're called to be is wise in the way that we're witnesses. We're called to be wise. If you want to turn to uh, your Bibles for a moment, to, uh, to Matthew chapter 10. 
It's in the context of mission. Matthew chapter 10 and verse 16. I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. But be on your guard against men. They will hand you over to local councils and flog you in their synagogues. On my account, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what you will say or how you will say it. At that time, you will be given what to say. For it will not be you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. And I think we see Peter and John, these words actually coming true in their lives. They took opportunity to witness in the way that they could. But Jesus said, I'm sending you out amongst wolves, therefore be as shrewd as snakes and innocent of doves. And that was a word of wisdom to the people as he sent them out. And God has called us to be wise in the way we witness. In Ecclesiastes, we we read these words, and it's wisdom literature. It says, there is a time to speak, and there is a time to refrain from speaking. That's applying wisdom to what we say and how we say it. And so as Christians, we don't... as as, uh, I saw one person doing one. She went up to a person, punched the finger into the chest, you need Jesus! That's not being wise. Odd kind, maybe. But God has called us to be wise in the way that we witness. The context is mission, the, opposi- the opposition that we can freely face to be expected, In using these metaphors, Jesus is instructing his disciples in how to behave in their ministry. The world, then as now, that's the people we live live amongst, was hostile to believers. You say, well, I don't really find any hostility in my life as I live as a Christian. You may not, but underneath it, the spirit of the age is hostile to you as a Christian because you believe in Jesus Christ and are following him, there will be a hostility, an underlying hostility against you. Persecution comes from that. But what Jesus is saying, saying here, how can we advance the kingdom of God effectively without becoming predatory ourselves? Sometimes we attract comments and stuff. This sound gone. Oh, there it is. Sometimes some people attract hostility by the way they speak. A little example in my life as a young Christian, I was keen to witness and I had a little badge which I wore to work with me, Jesus Saves, on it. And uh, I was quite proud of it in one way, but I went into this builder's merchants and uh, the guy sort of leaned forward like this. Even that was intimidating. But then he said, well, what building society is he with? <laughs> and I, I just thought, hmm, it's attracting some... Maybe it's good, maybe it isn't, I don't know. 
but was it wise to do it? And it's always good to consider how to approach our witness in, in a wise way. The next thing I want to say about our witness is character. The Bible talks a lot about character. Are we people of our word? Are we people of his word? Two very important things. As parents, and I've been a parent, how do we behave in front of our children? Do we honour our employer? You'll excuse this illustration, but it sort of underlines a point. The school my daughter works, there's one boy child, he's, he's got the name Boob Grabber. Now, I think you can take from that what that means, but where did he get the idea of that from? His dad? Or where? Where does he get that name from? Question, how do we behave in front of our children? When parents argue, how do you do this in front of your children? Are we actually witnessing? Are we being wise in the way we witness to our children? We talk to them, the things we say about other people in church. They hear it, carrying on about other people. Could be termed gossip. But character, witness, is done under the wisdom of having good character. In America, I said just now, do we honour our employer? Well, I was self-employed, so I honoured myself, no doubt about that. But if you, your customers are your employer, and you honour those people that you work for. But just to underline this point, there's a, a church in America that's, uh, that's developed a culture of honour as a mission dynamic. A culture of honour. You honour people because they're people. You honour, we honour each other. This is all witness, how you honour. And it's been developed in such a way, um, you know, that it has proved to be key to all aspects of relationships within the church and outside in the community, this culture of honour. There's a book you can buy, and it's written, A Culture of Honour. And really, it comes from the fact that Jesus taught his followers to be Christ-like in a godless world. As you read about Jesus in the New Testament, one thing, it stands out so clear. Did he, just, did, he didn't trample on people's lives. He actually honoured them as people, as he brought the message to them. The sentiment of this is found in the Old Testament when we read in Isaiah, God says, come now, let us reason together. Come now, let us reason together. That's an amazing aspect of God, isn't it? I don't know how you picture God, or how you picture Jesus, or how you picture religion, or Christianity, or however you picture it. But it's birthed in the fact of honour for one another. Come now, let us reason. I did get this picture of a father sitting down with a son, and trying to explain to him 
So let's talk this out, son. Let's sort it out. You know? We may be interested to know that it's uh, in Yorkshire today, it's the Black Pudding Throwing Championship. <laughs> the idea is you get a black pudding and you throw it at a Yorkshire pudding. <laughs> One pudding to another. <laughs> and you try and knock that Yorkshire pudding off its stake. Well, that's not the, sen the sentiment of believers as Christians, is not to knock a person off their perch. It's about reasoning out the wonderful, amazing truth about Jesus Christ. It's not about the scientific dynamics. It's not about which day this happened in creation or whether we've created. Really, it's all about Jesus and the fact that he died and raised again from the dead. This amazing message. So character is important. Good character is measured by Christ-likeness which is defining, considering roles within church planting and building. As the church moves forward, it, character is, is one of those things that sets out, you know, the importance of leaders amongst others. If you read about elders in the New Testament, one of the things is the important things is the highlight of a person for that role is character. Not what they do really and how they do it, although it's important. Serving. And generosity. So we have character. The next part about witness is confidence. I think we say that Peter and John had confidence here. They were confident in their message as they spoke it. There's no doubt about that. Peter was very confident. He said, it was you who crucified him. But the point was, yes, they did crucify him, but God raised him from the dead. He was confident as he spoke. We're told that Peter was bold when he stood up and gave his sermon on that day when he did. That boldness, that's confidence. And sometimes we need that just to demonstrate. How bold do you feel? <laughs> I don't feel very bold, to be quite honest with you but the Holy Spirit will help us and give us that boldness to witness. So confidence is another thing. <clears throat> in 1 Peter 3, verse 15, I'll read it to you. But in your hearts, honour Christ as the Lord, as holy. And this is the point about witness. Always being prepared to make a defense or to give an answer to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. First point, are we prepared? And how can we prepare if someone asks us about our faith? Have you ever sat down and tried to write out what is the reason for your hope and put it down in words? It's quite difficult, actually. But it says, Peter says here, always be prepared to give a reason for the hope was in you do other people actually see that we're a people of hope i think we're living in a time in our country where people around us need that we have a hope beyond politics <laughs> what was your answer to that god's in control 
Yeah, he is. But I think so many people are demonstrating fear at this time. Are we a people of peace? To know that? To actually demonstrate that? But Peter was saying to these people here, be prepared to give a reason for the hope that is in you. Confidence. That's a challenge, isn't it? Go home. Write out, what's the reason for your hope? Because someone someday might ask you what that reason is. The next thing is self-control. James wrote to the church, to Christians, and he said, everyone should be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry. Then down in verse 20, he said, keep a tight rein on your tongue. Keep a tight rein on your tongue. Now you say, I don't find that very easy. But we're told that the Holy Spirit is the helper and if you, if you find your words are running away with you and you can't control it, like everything else, self-control is the fruit of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the helper. He will help us to do this. If we say, oh, I find that impossible, but you want to do it, ask the Holy Spirit and he will help you. If you, if you keep having these bad thoughts in your mind, uh, or for men, pornographic thoughts, and they just won't go, ask the Holy Spirit to take it away. He's the helper. He's the one who helps us be self-controlled. So that we earn the right to be heard. As witnesses, we need to earn the right to be heard. There needs to be an integrity about us in our character and the way that we deploy our lives that earns the right to be heard. This is wisdom. This is the way that it works. Self-control. The other way is by questions. A little while ago, we had Martin Gibson from Maidstone, and he, he sort of openly or self-confessed that he found it difficult to talk to people, to be a witness. But he said, I found one thing that helps. He said, I just say to, I might be standing in the queue at the, the supermarket, he said, and I ask people, how's your day been? It's a question. It helps us open up conversation to witness. I think questions are a very good place to start. Not, you need Jesus. Repent and believe. Questions are a good place to start. There's one more place in one piece I just want to deal with, and it deals with witnessing in a husband and wife relationship. And it's in one piece, and it's found that the husbands may be one to Jesus Christ without a word. So if we're not able to speak to a partner, spouse, or someone else in a relationship, it can be conveyed silently, our witness, without a word. I know an evangelist who, in Kent who uh, 
He used to visit his father most days, and every day, he thought, as an evangelist, I need to tell my dad about... And he got so frustrated with telling his dad about Jesus, he said, okay, God, I give up. I hand it over to you. And within a week, his dad was saved. Sometimes out, the way we apply ourselves with wisdom to winning people is quite important. We need to be wise in the way we do it. But that verse in 1 Peter where it says that the husbands may be one without a word, I just get the picture of wives just keep battering their husbands. You know, come on, believe. Come to it. I think, Wally, you were saved before Sue, wasn't it? How difficult did you find that? Or didn't you? Or did you just pray? Or did you? You just prayed. Yeah. In God's time. Amen. Praise God. Yeah. It's there. Pray for your husbands. Look for an opportunity to speak, but do not badger. Husbands can be won without a word. I just want to uh, finish what I'm saying by my own experience of what I do to witness. I don't feel I'm very confident in witnessing at all. So I try and do what I can. I tried... I didn't try with my children. I, I, I prayed that God would help me to be a father to my children and that I would be able to pass the gospel message on to them that they too may become believers. I just prayed for wisdom to do that. Praise God, all three of them are born again and part of a church and, and a growing family, and I, I thank God for that. But we need to think about that. Our children are our first priority to witness to them. So I did that. As they left home, I, I needed to seek other ways to do it. In, in my work, I did that. More recently, um, Steve introduced us to this little book, which is quite a good little book. It's called Divine Comedy, Human Tragedy. Now, it's amazing because all over the world, over the, the country, here and in France, there are these little boxes. There are sort of lending libraries. You, you take a book out and you put a book in. Well, when I go to France, I find one of these and I pop one of these in there. Someone just might pick it up and read it. When we go to a caravan site, there's always a few books in there for people to borrow. You borrow one, put one in, you take it out and read it, and I put one in there. So there's opportunities just to get... I find that conversation, sort of debating and, and arguing doesn't get very well. But people who are seeking will just alight upon something that will show them the way to truth. When we go into a cafe or restaurants, there's a very convenient places to pop, put little stories and little cards. That's underneath the mat and in the menu. And so I do that. Put verses of scripture and little cards in the menus and underneath the mat. When we go out for walks and there's a signpost, 
I've got a little card which says, it's got a little picture of a signpost pointing this way and that way. And it's the, the verse is, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So I put one on the little thing, you know, the signpost where it goes. That when people look to where they're going, there's a little card there. So that they can read truth, read the scripture. They might find Jesus. And God will lead us in our wisdom to witnessing for him. And that will open up opportunities to talk about Jesus. So, as we read this story, Peter and John were witnessing to Jesus. And we're called to do the same, but with integrity and wisdom, knowing that the power of God is upon us to do that. Father, I just thank you so much for Jesus. And thank you for this opportunity, Father, that this free opportunity, Lord, we have today just to talk about Jesus, Lord, here. And we pray for the people around us in Herm Bay and on this seafront. We just pray, Holy Spirit, as you work in the hearts of people, may we be ready and willing to witness for you of what you've done for each and every one of us. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Nick.